0: To be in God's house today. I hope you feel that way. I mean, I, I, I truly hope that you feel refreshed and, and genuinely glad to be in God's house um, as we come together. You know, we come for a lot of different reasons sometimes, but God really does want to meet with us when we come here, and I'm thankful that we can do that. At this time, if uh, you're a child or have a child from age three to six if they will uh, just go through the store right here and stewards uh, have them this morning Brother Donnie and miss Jean, we thank all those that work in the rotations and we thankful that we have kids that will go because we didn't have them we wouldn't be no sense of doing it. Isn't that right? So we're glad to have them. And for the rest of us, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans 5 verse six through 8. And just as we are glad that they're with us today, we're glad that you're here. <laughs> no matter if you're here every time the doors open, or if you just come on occasion, or if this is your first time, we have, uh, we're have we showing no partiality. We're glad you're all here today, and I uh, hope that you feel blessed and, and are glad that you are here uh, to be in God's house. Romans 5, 6... Through eight, talk to you a little bit today about remedy or remedies. I uh, looking this week for a a list, and I finally just gave up looking for the list. But you know, all of us kind of understand when I use the phrase home remedies, we kind of understand uh, what that is we also understand that some of those home remedies sometimes work. I mean, are there some things that we do that we've heard all our lives and they work? I mean, there's some things, I mean that that we use and 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 maybe the doctors wouldn't prescribe it, but I mean, I I was trying to think of some things that that um uh, and and I ha- I was going to do a list, but I thought I'd t- do it totally off the cuff this morning. And so let me just think if I can think of one. seemed like I heard one time, and you may look at me, it- it's always better when you're off the cuff anyway. It's working without a net. But seemed like I remember one time about a bee sting. Was, was there something about putting um, a dip of snuff on a bee sting? Wet tobacco on a bee sting. Did that work? Did it work? Some of you say, if you think that works, raise your hand. If you think that works, if you really don't think that works, put your hand up now. Well, all right. So, all right. I don't know. It, I, I know one thing it did do. It, it took the attention of the bee sting hurting to, to to let you know you had wet tobacco on your arm. So if it just shifted the focus, then I guess maybe that would be success. All right. So so yeah, I thought about that and oh I don't know. There's just a lot of different things. You you, you heard the stories about coal oil and, and, and castor oil and and uh, motor oil. I don't know what all they use, but but um, there's always different types of things and people say, Well, if you do this and oh, if you'll just do this, and and some of those things I'm gonna tell you, I don't know if there's any scientific value or not, but they do seem to work, don't they? Sometimes they seem to work. Sometimes maybe not. I don't know. I can say that same thing about modern medicine. Sometimes that works. And sometimes that don't work. Those are remedies that we've come up with, heard about, had some success with over years, over time. And for whatever reason, some people's and sometimes we're convinced that certain things work. I I remember this one. This just came to my mind too. And I don't have any idea if this works or not. But um, when you had an earache, that used to say that you that you're supposed to blow cigarette smoke in your ear. You ever heard that one? Did it work? Seemed to me like I remember that one working. I and and you might you know it might have just been the I'm sure it was just the warmth or the fact that it was something on you. You could probably put a heating pad up there. But those are just things. Now nowadays we we discourage against that because of all the you know we're afraid we will get ear cancer or something. I don't know, but but um. Well, if you cigarette smoking your ear, put two and two together, Russ. You'll figure it out, all right? But those are remedies. Sometimes they may work and sometimes they may not. But when we look at a spiritual sense of what we're talking about today, we need to understand that there has to be one remedy that works every time it's used. We have to be assured. We, we can't take for chance that maybe this will work this time and if the conditions are right. It, we have to be assured that for the problem you and I have as people that's universal to all man, that we are sinners and we are bound to go to hell unless something takes place. We need to be sure. We have to be sure that there is a remedy that works not 75% of the time. Because in today's society, a 75% success rate on something would be pretty good. It it, it would. Uh, But we we can't be uh, content with a 75% ratio or an 85% or even a 99% success rate. We have to have something that's going to save people 100% of the time. We can't be content with anything less. We have to be sure. We have to be set. It has to be a done deal. And we need to have that assurity in our heart and in our minds that it's going to work every time that it's called upon, whatever it is, and we're going to find out that it is a he. But whatever that remedy is has to be 100% all the time. And that's what we want to talk about today. If you'll stand with me, I want to read from Romans 5, verse 6-8. through And this was actually supposed to be the message last week, and I never did get to it. I've stayed on the the introductory, the, the, the porch too long. But this is Romans 5, 6, and 8. And it was supposed to be the Valentine's message because it has love in it. So if you're still thinking Valentine's, here we go. But verse 6 says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Say amen. For scarcely for a righteous man would, one would die, yet perhaps for a good man someone might even dare to die. But verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. God, thank You today for Your Word, what it means, what it has meant, and what it will mean. God, I pray that You would just bind any force that would keep Your Word from coming through loud and clear. God, would You take away the scales from our eyes, the stoppers from our ears, the sensitivity that we develop over here in the Word preached so many times, and allow us to hear Your Word as if it's the first time. God, I pray that You do that. Allow me to speak. Allow me to bring the message uh, with with clarity, with boldness, God, and with and just the single purpose that somebody needs to hear it today. I pray. And God, I pray that You would take this heart by, by the use and work of Your Holy Spirit to, to seal it in the hearts of those who would receive it, so they could use it in the days to come. We love you. We thank you for loving us and being with us today. And it's in your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so we read this scripture today, just quick three verses, and uh, not even really got a lot of putting a lot of fancy points to it today. I just want to kind of look at the text. A little bit. Sometimes it's pretty good just to look at what the Bible says. What a novel idea. Amen. Uh, I think sometimes we get so caught up into what a person can add to Scripture. And and what neat stories that that I can tell and all that type of thing. But Scripture is so good that it does speak for itself. He does speak for Himself. And I'm so glad. You know, when you look at, at history, when you look at the success the Gospel has had... So much of it, every bit of it really is dependent upon the fact that the Word can do its job. I don't have to worry about the the Word being deficient. I don't have to worry about Scripture not being enough. Now yes, God chooses to use men. He chooses their action. He chooses their lifestyles. He chooses things that they do to help bring the Word forth to people. But God uses the Word. So important for us to understand that. And as we look at Scripture today, I want us to be aware uh, that as we try to interpret Scripture, uh, any biblical interpretation should never focus on us, but it should always focus on God. See, our issue is, and I've uh, said this so much in, in these words before, that our issue is, if we're not careful, we make the Bible fit what we're thinking we tend to look at it as it's talking about us. And it's all about me. And every time it says that, it's just about me. And yes, it does refer to you, but the Scripture, is you understand it so much clearer when you look at it as God's story instead of your story. Scripture is God's story. Scripture is His take on things. It is His indictment on humanity. It is His statement and declaration that He loves us. It is His story, not ours. And we want to put Scripture and put our name in as the lead character. We're not the lead character. Folks, we're not even uh, an extra. We're not even in the wings of the production. We're there, but God is the main character in His word. And it's important for us to, to know that and, and to understand it as much as we're able. Now, as we look at this passage, we do see a comparison of what we could not do versus what he did do. You know, a lot of people talk, don't they? I'm glad that God doesn't just tell me what he's going to do, but God, and not only is God going to show me, God's already shown me what he will do. God doesn't sit Have you ever heard people say, well, when I get up from this chair, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and boy, when I get the feeling better and all when the spring gets here and all there's always these conditions. God never has done any of that. Matter of fact, God's already done what needs to be done. God has done everything that is necessary for you to be saved. Already has. Not working on it today. Already done it. You and I don't have to worry about what God is going to do. If He never had one more action, enough has been done by our Heavenly Father that you and I could be saved many times over. But aren't you glad it only takes once? Amen? only takes once. All you need? can't be saved but once. Amen? I said you can't be saved but once, Baptist. Amen? Now come on. Now think about this for a second. He's done everything possible for us to be saved. And as we look at this, we see the comparison of what we're not able to do versus what He's already done. Now now look back at the the verses. Look at uh, verse uh, 6 if you would with me. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You and I know that Scripture says there is not one righteous, not one godly in other words. No, not one. Romans 3.10 tells us that. And this Scripture reminds us that while we were still without strength, we'll look at that phrase in a minute, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now now think about that for a second. It's easy to do stuff for people that you think are somewhat deserving. And and, and I mean, I, I do things for my kids sometimes just because I want to be nice. And, and I think, yeah, they've been pretty good lately. I think they deserve a trip to whatever. Or, or maybe they get an extra this or, or whatever. They've been pretty I think they deserve it. Have you ever done that for your kids? Some of you say, my kids never been there. I don't know. Well, every once in a while your kids get there. Amen, parents? Once in a blue moon, they do something that's deserving of at least a little bit of praise. Don't they? Let them know that, please. But it's easy to do something for somebody when you think they deserve it. When they've done something to merit it in some way. Understand there's nothing you've ever done that gives God even an inkling of thinking that He should save you. Never done anything that good. And you've done some good stuff in your life, but you've never done anything that good. Not to outweigh the bad. Because if we want to play the game, and many people do, of works and doing good stuff, and my good's going to outweigh my bad, God will let you play that game. Did you know that? God will let you spend your life actually playing that game. You can be the person who says, I'm going to depend. God will let you depend on your works to get you to heaven. He will let you do that. Somebody says, you can't depend on your works to get you to heaven. No, but you can act like you do. God will allow you to play that game. And then you will find out you never win. There's some games you never win. Circus games, carnival games, I never win. When they're doing the, the 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 put it in a, a cup and they, you're trying to find, I could put both eyes on that thing, hold their hands, watch it just like that, and I guarantee you it'll end up on the three boots down. There are some games I never win. There's there's just you know I tell you what and I. I don't do I don't do the gambling thing because of my moral convictions on it. But if I did, I promise you, you wouldn't have to worry about me getting rich at it because I wouldn't do it. I can just see me pulling the one armed bandit all day long till my money run out. I, I I'm serious. I, I don't win in those types of of situations. I can't depend on that, on something like that to get me there. I have to have a sure thing. And and we need to understand that there's nobody that's righteous, as Scripture tells us. Well, this first part of the verse says that while we were still without strength. What does that mean? Some translations that you probably have in your possession today probably use the word helpless. Some of them say that while we were helpless, without help, that didn't really have any ability on our own. While we were helpless, we were without strength. In other words, there was and is not one thing that we can do to change our pitiful situation. You realize you're pitiful? Situation is Pitiful. 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 And there's not a thing we can do about it, or can do about it, or have done about it. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that we're saved by grace, that not of ourselves. Did you know that, that one day when you do make it to heaven by the grace of God, uh, ne- there's one thing that's not going to be in heaven for sure. There'll not be any boasting or bragging. Now we've heard of people that brag, now, boy, I tell you what, we got some good, they make an art form out of it. Uh, there's some people that brag. Have you ever been proud of your kids? I've been proud of my kids, and I got to be careful sometimes because I brag on them and and I don't want to come off that way, but sometimes I do, and that's just the way it is and I try to remember that you know they're they're not the best in the world, although I think they are, but you think yours are too. I hope, but we got to be careful about brag, but did you know that there's not going to be any bragging in heaven because what are you going to brag about? You've done nothing. You look around at streets that are paved with gold and you didn't pave one part of it. You're walking through gates of pearl and you had nothing to do with that. You're looking at sites and things that I won't even try to, to imagine what might be there and, what, and 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 I can't explain any of it. See me stuttering? That's, that's what it's going to be like. And so you, what credit can you take for heaven? Absolutely none. So there'll be no bragging in heaven. Get ready. You'll enjoy it. Not anybody saying, well, you know what I did to get here. Well, what what deed would be good enough that you would bring up in God's heavenly court that got you to heaven? What are some things that we might say, oh, this is good? What are some things that we might say? Uh, I mean, come on, think about this for a second. The things that we think are so good here, and we get to heaven, and we're going to bring that up before God and say, "God, this is man. I was so good in life. This is what I did." Some of us might say, "Man, I wrote some big checks come Sunday for ties," and yet God, guess what? He owns cattle on a thousand hills, and He owns the hills too. Amen. So, so that's out. Well, I I was I was good. I was good to my neighbor, and I didn't slap my neighbor when I really when they said that bad thing against me. I held back, and yet God sat there quietly as a lamb led to the slaughter through Jesus Christ as they brought him to the cross. So you can't top that. And anything that you would bring up, anything you could do, He's already done better. So that leaves us out. I'm glad I don't have to try to figure this out, aren't you? When we were still without strength, the Scripture says, in due time. In due time. The problem is, is we're just helpless. I'm glad we're not hopeless. But what's the remedy? Jesus died at the right time. If you, have you as a parent or grandparent figured out that you never want to box yourself in in time with your kids or grandkids? In other words, if you tell them you're going to do something, be careful about telling them you're going to do something. Because as soon as you tell them, it's supposed to happen right then. I mean, there's a different concept of time. So if you're going to do something nice for them, don't tell them you're going to do it. Until you're on the way to do it. Or you will be reminded about it until you do it, and then you won't want to do it anymore. Can I get a witness? And and you you tell them because you want to build anticipation and you want them to be excited, but but they don't have that concept. They hey, we're gonna do it, let's hey, what what about right now? Let's let's go let's go, let's go, let's go. The right time. You waiting for the right time? God waited for the right time. The, it was due time. It was time when God said, "Okay, that's it." And see, when God says that it, He's already out of the chair. When I say it's it, I make two or three attempts to get out of the recliner. I have. I tell you, I'm a world's worst. Sometimes, yeah, I'm going to do that. I, there we we have a storage building. I've talked about the kids a lot. I'll tell off on myself, and Andrew can win this one. Might as well. What have I got to lose? Now, storage building we have, uh, and and from time to time we clean up and take something out to storage building, and she'll set the bucket that's going to go out, and she'll say, please take this out to the storage building. It's a little bit too heavy for me. I'm going to do that, and then I find something else to do. And she'll mention it again, and I'm going to do that. I'm just about to do that, and I'll take three steps toward it, and then five steps the other way. God had a right time. And when He said it's time, it is time. And He knew when it was in due time to save us. He died at the right time for an unworthy people. God looked at at the most undeserving part of His creation. Did you know we're the most undeserving part of God's creation? Think about it why would you say that? We're the smartest. We're the the part of God's creation that was made in His image. Uh, We're not like animals. We have a soul. We have a spirit. Why would you say that mankind, brother Darren, is the most undeserving part of God's creation? Well, think about this. It's because of our part of creation that the rest of creation is cursed. Through Adam's sin entered into the world not through some animal, not not through some tree, but because of what man did to curse the rest of His beautiful creation were the most undeserving part of what God has made. Now we may be the smartest we, we, we may be the most talented, the most created, but we're also the most conniving. We're also the most wicked. We're also the most sinful. It's because of man's sin entered into creation. And we're the most undeserving part of what God has made. And yet He looked, listen, He looked at the most undeserving part and said, I love that part. I did make them in my image and I do want to save them. What God said. And He looks at the most undeserving portion of what He's made and says, I'm going to save it them, us, you, because I love you so much. Look at verse 8. verse 7, I'll read that, but look at verse 8. Verse 7 says, For scarcely a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God put His love on display by sending... Jesus to die for us now that in itself is Pretty unbelievable that God would look at man, see how bad it is, knowing that many of them were still going to reject it and say, I love them so much that I'm going to send Jesus to give His life to to willingly get up on a cross to allow man to beat Him and, and, and to treat Him the way no one should be treated and to ultimately kill Him, crucify Him and spend the rest of history trying to beat down the church. I'm going to die for that bunch. And He did. And that's unbelievable in itself. Because you've got to consider who He's dying for. He's dying for the very people who in large part would reject Him forever and call for Him to be crucified. See, Jesus didn't just die for the, those who were apathetic about Him. You know, we think about that today. If you, don't raise your hand, but, but do you know any atheist? Don't shake your heads or anything like that, but do you know any atheists? You know, I think more and more we're, we're finding more people who at least proclaim to be atheists. And some atheists are kind of apathetic to where they will say, well, there's no God, but they don't get real hostile and in your face. But there are some atheists who are so determined there is not a God, they're scared to death you might prove there is a God, so they get very militant about proving that. Now, if you don't believe there is a God, then why would you spend all your effort trying to prove there's not a God? I don't understand that, but they get real agitated, real militant, want to beat folks up over it. I, you know. But if you don't believe there's a God, then don't worry about it. But see, God, Jesus didn't just die for the apathetic about Him; those who are just ah, uh, you know. But He died for those who He knew would ultimately. Hate Him and go to war against Him and be His enemy. That's who Jesus died for. You ready to die for your enemy? Could you die for the person that called you an ugly word? That cheated you out of some money? Oh, that's a bad one. Amen? I may forgive it, but I ain't going to forget it. Don't act surprised. You've said it a million times. I ain't going to let him get me no more. I'm glad Jesus never had that attitude. Because I wouldn't be saved today if He did. He didn't just die for those who were apathetic, but He died for those who hated Him. He didn't just give His life for those that politely say, no, thank you, I don't want to be saved. But He gave His life for those who angrily shout. I don't need you. And I curse your offer of salvation to your face. Jesus died for those people. (laughs) It's enough that, well, you know... We think of it in these terms many times, that, that, that God comes and Jesus comes and says, I, I, here I am standing at the front, and here's the invitation, and you can make a decision, either come or not, and it's okay, we'll, we'll still be friends if you say no, you know, you'll know you still go to hell, but we'll still be friends. And we stand and we kind of look at it that way. But, but God makes the offer to those who are actively against it. And spit in his face. That's who Jesus died for. We have a hard enough time trying to invite folks to come to Christ. People we like. Much less those that have done us wrong. You know, as we think about that today, as they come and prepare the invitation at this time. God loves you this morning. And He calls you to stop rejecting His love. And He wants you to say yes to Him now. You know, we might be sitting here thinking, this is a pretty heavy salvation message, and I'm looking around and a bunch of familiar faces. And I don't know exactly why God would, would call for this message today, but He did. Don't ever neglect salvation in an offer. Whenever you hear the offer... Make sure you're saved. Best thing you can do for yourself, make sure that you're saved. Sometimes things are said in a light that you've never heard before and God uses the Holy Spirit to, to, to open your eyes maybe he hasn't done that quite that way before. I'm asking ask you to stand, bow your heads. If anyone has a need to come to the front today, whether to pray or, or for whatever reason, please do. But while you are praying, those who know that Christ is in their hearts, pray for those that you know that may or may not be here today that don't. Pray that God this week will move in their hearts and lives. God still saves people, church. God still saves people. We get away from that, but God still wants to save people. Primary mission of why we are here. Pray that God this week will move on their hearts and your heart. That if you're called to witness to them, you can do that. God, thank you today for your love, your mercy towards us. And I pray you speak to the hearts that need to hear you today. I love you. In Jesus' name.